Well, last week we jumped back into the book of Romans, Romans with great enthusiasm and excitement. It is so good to dig back down into some of the truths, life-changing truths of what God has tucked down into this book. And this is one of the best books you could ever get a hold of in your life. So I hope you understand we're not going to just exhaust this book in this series, but I hope it just whets your appetite to say, that's not a book that I've spent much time in. I don't really understand it. And you'd say, I'm going to study that some more. I'm going to just live there. I'm going to just stay there. I've had some people tell me I'm reading that through over and over. I've had some people tell me I'm memorizing chapters there. Great. This book will change your life. There's some truths here that God really, really wants us to get. So let me remind you of what we've covered so far and where we're headed. What we've covered so far and where we're headed and kind of set the context. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, it's all about sin. He just drives it home over and over that all of us are in that same category. Sinners by birth, And by choice, by nature and by choice. You don't have to sign up for this. You don't have to become this. You're born this way. Sinner. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 all the way to the end of chapter 5 is about salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in the righteousness of Christ. That it's not your effort, but it's Christ's righteousness that gets applied to your account. How? Work? Serve in a soup kitchen? Be good enough? No, 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 no. By faith. Through grace, by faith, you believe. You believe he is who he says he is and that he did what God's word says he did. That when he died, your sins were on him. The price was paid. And when he rose from the grave, the chains of sin were broken. Saved by faith. So Romans chapter 3 verse 21 all the way to the end of 5 is about salvation. Now, chapter 6 through chapter 8 is all about sanctification. So we got sin... Until you know you're a sinner, you're not that excited about this free offer of the gospel. Sin, salvation, but once you're saved, you're not done. You're in this world and you're like, uh, now how do I live this out? What about now? What about life now? Sin, salvation, sanctification is the now part. Chapter 6 through chapter 8 is all about how do I live this out and fight fight the power of sin that yet remains in my life. This is a struggle So how do I do this? How do I go about this? I want to fight smart. I want to fight strategically. I want to fight with all the weapons that God has given me. I don't want to just fight aimlessly and randomly. That's where we are now. And so obviously, you can see, we're just on the front end. We're just on the front end of this section of Paul's argument. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Which, by the way, this is one of the best books. And those are some of the best chapters in the best book. I know, my wife says, you say that about everything. I don't. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, some of the best. We're right on the front end of Paul's argument of how do you live now? How do you fight? How do I do this? This is a struggle. Am I the only one? No, you're not the only one, Paul says. See, in a very real way, as a Christian, when you get saved, you're forgiven. In a very real world way now, you live with one foot in two different worlds. You live as a Christian in the land of the already and the not yet. I'm already free from the wrath of God. Someone say amen. Amen. Woo! I do not have to worry about that. Wrath of God has been satisfied, propitiated, turned back by the blood of Christ. Amen. No wrath of God for me. Yet, I still have this ongoing struggle with this body of sin and temptation. I'm already free from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those. So no wrath, no condemnation, but... 
I still have this body of sin to contend with and struggle with. I'm already free from the slavery to sin and Satan who owned me. But there's still a very real temptation to sin. And my flesh still cries out and wants it and longs for it and has interest in it. And yes, the chains are broken. But those chains of sin sin still rattle sometimes. And they haunt me and I hear them. And there is a struggle and sometimes confusion as to Who am I really? Am I dead? Am I free? Can I do this? That's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about that foot that's still in this very real world that has a real struggle every day. So get this. If that's the case, and I believe it is, you better have a strategy for fighting sin. And it better be a biblical strategy No sense in trying to do something God doesn't say you can do and try to use resources he doesn't say are yours. You better have a biblical strategy for fighting sin. And I think that is exactly what Paul gives us. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. I know we've been there already, but oh, get it again because it's so good. So good. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And oh, I hope you have a Bible. I hope you have a Bible that's starting to look kind of marked up in Romans chapter 6. And whatever the cool, funky, techno way is to do that with your app, please do. There should be a way to highlight, star, all that. I don't know how, but you should do it. So if you got your app or if you got your Bible, I want it to start to look like traffic has been here. You've been here before. You're learning stuff. Romans 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, why is he asking that question? Because he just said something so mind-blowingly glorious. No surprise that someone might take and twist it and make something of it he never meant for you to make of it. He just said in Romans 5, 20, one of the most glorious things, where sin abounds. Now, where's that? Whose life has that? Raise your hand. All of us. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. Say it. Much more. Well, you might start thinking, oh, well, if where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Let's go do some more sin to get some more grace. Now he answers that stupidity. (laughs) What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. It's the word in the Greek, mega noida. Big no. Mega. No. No. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? That as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should, should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this... That our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Four. He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies No more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Look at me. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. God, help us to get all the good that is here. To get all the good that is here for us from your word. We don't want to just play with words. We don't want to just move our eyes across words. We don't want to just be tickled and delight intellectually in some words and concepts and truths. God, change us by your word. Lay us low. Take the scalpel of your word that's a sword and cut us. Not just to wound us for wound's sake, but that we might be healed and restored and strengthened and to think like you want us to think and to live like you want us to live. Oh God, do your good work in this time by your grace and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that we looked at this passage last week, but here's what I want to do today. I want to zoom in. So I want to take it from the wide-angle lens, verses 1 to 14. I want to zoom in on just three verses, 11, 12, and 13. Because I think when you dig down into verse 11, 12, and 13, you actually see Paul giving us the very thing I think we need, a biblical strategy for fighting sin in your life now. Here's the first part of that strategy. Number one. You better keep your mind in gear. You better keep your mind in gear, speaking truth and spotting lies. Speaking truth and spotting lies. Because the battle starts right here, between your ears. Right here, right here. Look at verse 11 again. Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. Okay, it's a command. The verb is in a command form. He's saying, you got to do this. It's not done for you automatically. No one else is going to do it for you. I can't do it for you. You have to reckon yourself to be dead to sin. Then you better stop and say, what does that mean? It's not a word we run around using that often. And I grew up in the deep south with kudzu and grits and okra struts. I actually had an okra strut. Where reckon just simply meant, oh, I guess so. I reckon Well, I reckon I'll be at the married dinner dance. I reckon. Reckon I'll have a good time. That's sad. On many levels, yes. (laughs) If you are doing that with that word in verse 11, you're missing it all together. You have missed it. It is not, I guess, I suppose. It almost seems like a sigh. You don't read it with a sigh. He didn't intend to communicate a sigh. The word reckon right there in the Greek... The Greek word for that is used 41 times in the New Testament, 19 of those times in the book of Romans, 
Why? Because Romans is one of the most exact, logical, tightly argued books. It's almost like Paul is in a courtroom reasoning and leading to a conclusion and building a case. It is not sloppy. It is not fuzzy. Any of you here that have anything to do with accounting know accounting people are not into, well, I guess, I reckon. Are we in the black and we in the red? Oh, I guess we're in the... You don't want accountants to guess. Are we on this side of the ledger or this side of the ledger? The word reckon in the Greek there is an accounting term that means to calculate, mark it down, factor it in, bring it into the equation of your thinking. Likewise, you also mark it down, factor it in, calculate it, that you're dead to sin but alive to God. And let me, let me get you to look with me at a word that's not there. You know what you don't see in verse 11? I don't care what translation you have. You see any reference to the word feel? Look again. Make sure I'm not wide of the mark. Because some of you right now are saying, but I don't feel dead to sin. Welcome to the club. He doesn't say, likewise you also. You will feel dead to sin. Or try to feel dead. He's not commanding us to try to feel dead to sin. That would be an exercise in futility if there ever was one. You're you're not going to feel dead to sin until God removes you from this sinful body and gives you your glorified body and removes you from the presence of sin in this fallen, broken world. You will not feel dead to sin. And he doesn't command you to try to, to live in the land of make-believe and say, ah. Tell you what else he's not saying. He doesn't say, he's not commanding you to try to become dead to sin. Try to become dead to sin. Neither one of those is what's going on here. He's saying, I want you to factor it in, calculate it, bring it into the equation you're thinking that God has already done this for you. Put that on your ledger. Done. You are dead to sin. You are. You are dead to sin. Not try to feel it, not try to become that way. Get it fixed in your mind. You say, well, Brad, what's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. Here it is. It matters what you think as you head into this battle. And you are heading into a battle every day. It matters what you think as you head into the battle. And you're heading into a battle every day. This is not peacetime, folks. The fact that there's not a war, literally, going on in our land with with rockets and grenade launchers, don't ever lose sight of the fact spiritually, in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm, the forces of darkness and the forces of righteousness are imploding constantly. There is a war, and you're in it. Get it fixed in your mind. It matters what you think as you head into this battle every day. And every day as you step out of your door, as you roll out of your bed, as you go to that job, as you land on that campus, as you step into the gym, you're in a battle. You have an enemy. There are casualties. You don't want to be one. It matters what you think as you head into this battle. That's why God says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed For lack of, say it, knowledge. He doesn't say, my people are destroyed for lack of a certain kind of feeling. But if you buy this book with seven keys and secrets, ah, secrets, you'll begin to feel this way. I feel so different. Hey, get get this. Feelings come and feelings go, but there's certain things you better know. It's what you know. 
It's what you know and don't know in the battle that is the biggest factor to win or lose. It's what you know or don't know, not what you feel or don't feel. When you know what you need to know, you can fight how you need to fight regardless of how you feel. Oh, that was weak. Amen. You got to get this. When you know what you need to know, you can fight how you need to fight regardless of how you feel. The reason that's so weak is we think, I don't feel it. I need to feel it. Grow up. Grow up. The Bible is not largely about our feelings. It's largely silent on our feelings. And it makes so much of our mind thinking. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By getting a certain kind of feeling. By the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24, put off the old man, put on the new man. What's in the middle of verse 20 thing? By the renewing of your mind, 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 mind. It matters what you think as you head into this battle. See, sometimes you don't know what you need to know. Sometimes you have forgotten what you used to know. That's why it's okay to hear a sermon on the same passage again. And sometimes you have just allowed your mind to drift over into neutral or idle. Not good. Not good. Your mind needs to stay in gear. And I know it can seem exhausting sometimes. But your mind's got to stay in gear. Think about a soldier on the battlefield. You know, we, I just went and watched with a group of guys, Lone Survivor. Hey, there's no place to take five minutes out and think, I'm just not going to think for a while. Got to be thinking. Bullets are flying. The enemy's all around you. Think, 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 think. There's no place for kicking it into neutral. Your mind has to be in gear, in gear, engaged. That's the same thing that Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, his first letter. Turn there, 1 Peter. Keep your place marked in Romans 6 because we're going to come back. But find 1 Peter. Go right if you're, in, if you're in Romans. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Get 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, same kind of deal with a battle mindset, and it matters what you think. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I got the New King James that is not as new as I wish it was, because that's like, what? Because we don't dress that way. I don't have to gird up my jeans at any point. But in that day, they wore long, flowing garments, men and women. And when you were getting ready to do work, When it was time to really go after something and get it done, you had to get all this out of the way. And they would take it and they would would pull it up and wrap it around and tie it up around them. Gird up the loins. Get ready to do work. Get ready to go into action. The New Living Translation says it well when it says, think clearly. The ESV says it very well when it says, prepare your minds for action. We got too many Christians that think the Christian life is comprised largely of passivity and inactivity. The Christian life is not comprised largely of passivity and inactivity. Do I rest in Christ? Yes, but that's an attitude and a delight that that he's done what I couldn't do. But I have a resting in Christ as I put forth effort to fight now, to fight sin, to say no to sin, to be alert to sin, to know that I have an enemy You better keep your mind in gear. There's no place for disengaging and just going idle. Listen to me. You cannot afford to be a sloppy thinker or an ignorant Christian. Ignorant Christians become casualties quickly on the battlefield. 
Some of you are just ignorant of who you are and what God has done. Some of you are ignorant of God's word and you've been guilty of thinking, well, there's these Christians that know the Bible really well and whatever. It's not whatever. It's not just head knowledge. When you know what God wants you to know about him and you and this world, you fight better. You, you endure. You last. Look around, folks. There's casualties all around us. Spiritual casualties, right? People who started off well, who said they were a Christian, who got baptized, who walked an aisle, who, who served for a while, who taught, who led a small group. Where are they? What happened? Who went down in flames, whether it was with adultery or embezzlement or... or What's going on? Why do so many who start off well not finish well? What is going on? See, you better have a theology that that can stand up under the heat of hand-to-hand combat with your own flesh that's backed up with Scripture. So let me ask you, do you know, do you know what God says about you now as a Christian? If you've come the last couple weeks, you've got to say yes unless you're just really not paying attention. Because every time we read Romans 6, 1 to 14, he's telling us who you are as a Christian now. Do you know who you are as a Christian now? Okay, tick, got that box. That's not enough. Do you believe it? You say, well, yeah. That's not enough. Because guess what? You can say, well, I know what God's word says, and I believe it sort of for some. But it doesn't seem to work for me. I don't sense that in my life. That's not how it plays off. There's a yeah, but, yeah, but. Yeah, but if you're yeah butting your way through Scripture, you still, you, you've truncated, you've, you've emasculated the power of it. It's, do you know what he says about you? Do you believe it? And do you believe it for you? Now, we're still not done. You say, oh, my word. I got to know what he says. I got to believe it. I got to believe it for me. Yeah, there's one more most important question. Get this. That makes all the difference. You got to believe it. Do you believe it enough to go into the battle swinging for all you're worth? Uh-huh. Do you believe it enough to go into this battle swinging for all you're worth? See, here's the deal. It's easy to say what you believe. It's easy to chat it up in small group and have a great talk about these things. It's easy to sit and blog about this. I'm asking you not what you say you believe. That's lip theology. I'm asking you what you believe, and you believe it's strong enough that it motivates you to action. Oh, that's life theology. Some of you desperately, the greatest thing that could happen this year for you is to get from lip to life. Lip theology doesn't get it. Lip theology doesn't change your life. It's a good start. It's not where you're supposed to stop. you got to believe it enough that it motivates action. Saying, that's what God says. I believe it. I'll stand on that. I'll act on that. I will head into the battle fighting for all I'm worth. Believing that he says, I am dead to sin. Not, I don't feel it. Not, I'm trying to make it happen. But because it has happened, it has happened, it's done, I can fight now. That's why so many of you go down so often, get bloodied so much, and stay down so long. Don't hear me saying that if you get this right, you get your mind in gear, you just won't go down. Will you still go down? Will you still take some shots, some haymakers, like, oh, didn't see that one coming. But the difference is, you don't go down as often, you don't stay down as long, and you're not as guilty of starting to think, I should just stay down here because this just doesn't work. I don't think I, you got to know what God's word says. And by his grace, and he's right there, you get back up again. 
you get back up again. You get back up again. You better keep your mind in gear, speaking truth and spotting lies. Because the battle starts right here between your ears. Do you have that? Do you have that in your life? You know what he says about you. You believe it. You believe it for you. You believe it enough that you'll go into the... Because, see, if there's a fog, if there's a fog over who you really are and what your new relationship to sin is, if there's a fog there, you'll be confused and you'll fight half-hearted and confused. And that's exactly where Satan wants you. Hopefully you know, I hope you know this, as soon as you were in chapter 5 of Romans and you got saved, justified, forgiven, ransomed, redeemed, he's not done with you. He doesn't back off and say, oh, well, there goes another one. I can't take him to hell. So I'm done. Oh, he stays after you because he wants you to be debilitated, discouraged, ignorant, confused, so that you'll never make a difference, so that you won't make an impact. So you'll spend all your days just wallowing around up again, down again, up again, down again. He wants to neutralize Christians. Once he loses you and you can't go to hell, he still wants to neutralize you. And one of the biggest ways he does that is with ignorance. You don't know God's word and you try to live by your feelings. And our culture pushes you that way all the time. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Here's a book how you can feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Here's a conference to feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Here's a seminar to feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Here's on the internet people giving testimonies. You feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Shut it off. Go to God's word. Go to God's word. Go to God's word. You better keep your mind in gear, speaking truth and spotting lies. See, think about it. If you know your Bible a little bit, think about how it structured Paul's letters to believers. You will see a pattern of how, God, how Paul structures his letters, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In almost every case, he spends time building a case for who you are and what God has already done for you before he ever tells you to do something. Do something. Now do this. Or don't do that. Book of Ephesians, for example. The book of Ephesians is a case in point. Exactly how Paul does this so often. It's chuck full. Now, did the Christians in Ephesus have some problems that needed to be addressed? Oh, yes. Yes, they were into sorcery and magic and immorality. They had the temple of Diana there that was a t- basically a temple of let's go have sex and call it worship. Mess, all kinds of messes. But he doesn't just jump right in and say, now take care of this, now do that, now stop that. Three whole chapters, Paul. It's chuck full of deep doctrine about who you are and what God has done before he ever tells them to do anything. The foundation of it, he just lays layer after layer after layer. You've been chosen before the foundation. You're elect now. You're predestined. You're adopted. You're ransomed. You're redeemed. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have an inheritance now. You've been made alive and you were dead. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God the Father loves you so much. This is chapter 3. Oh, this is so good. God the Father loves you so much that you'll actually have to ask him to help you to even begin to comprehend the length and width and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. For you to know that you're filled up to the fullness of God and that that same God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask or think. Ah! That's what he does in Ephesians before he ever then says... Now, look, look, look at it for yourself. Go to Ephesians. But hurry. Go to Ephesians. And, and here's an idea. 
because I'm just going to jump right in. I want you to see how he concludes the glorious, here's who you are and what God has done before he ever tells you to do something, but I'm jumping right in. Hey, there's no NFL football today. Consider reading Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, because there's no other sport that matters. 1, 2, and 3, you got time. And just get a sense of this. It's like, oh my goodness, but we're going to jump right in at the transition point. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Oh! I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. If an American had written this, it would have started right there. You got to change. You need to do something different. I'm begging you to walk differently, live differently, act differently. He doesn't start there. Because if you don't know who you are and what he's already done that you could never do and what is yours regardless of how you feel, you don't fight as well. You don't fight as effectively. You don't persevere. You give up. I, therefore, now that you know this, now that I've reminded you of this, now that I've stirred it up, it takes a stick and just stirs it up. I've got to stir it up. Because all these great truths settle like sediment to the bottom of a little bowl of water. He says, I've got to stir this up for a minute. Not just a minute. Three chapters. Stir, 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 stir. And once the waters of your heart and mind are filled again with these great truths of what you could have never done, that he's done for you and who you really are, now, therefore, now I'm going to beseech you. I'm really going to beg you and urge you, walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In verse 17, he says, I therefore urge you, don't go on living like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's not you anymore. He's done a massive, dramatic, emphatic change in your life. Keep your mind in gear. It matters what you think as you head into battle. And you better know your true condition and position in this battle or you won't last. You spread, you keep saying that. True condition and position, who I am, what he's done, what? Well, verse 11 tells us what. Two of the biggest what's as to who you are now and how you relate to sin now that is radically different than before chapter 5 of Romans when he saved you. Justification. Look at verse 11. Two things he says that have happened. Big things that our culture makes a big deal of. Huge. You've had a funeral and you've had a birth. Funerals are big deals. They're game changers. Big deal when there's a funeral. Births are big deals. Both have happened to you. You are dead to sin. There's been a funeral. And you are alive to God in Christ. There's been a birth. Two game changers have happened in your life, whether you say it, feel it or not. Number two, so that's the first part of the strategy. Keep your mind in gear, speaking truth and spotting lies. Second part of this strategy, you better keep your desires in check because every urge is not a God-given urge that you should act on. Boom, that would help a lot of you. Just because you're a Christian, don't make the mistake of thinking, well, Christ lives in me. Now, everything that I think or desire or feel strongly about, I should go with that. No, you should not. You should not. Please do not. 
Keep your desires in check, recognizing that every urge you have is not a God-given urge that you should act on. Why? Because you still have this body of sin that is a liar and a deceiver and is actually your enemy and your outside enemy, Satan, goes in conjunction and partnership with your very own flesh. It's an inside job. You're up against an inside job. So do not go with every urge and desire that you have. you got to learn to still say no to your own desires. Look at verse 12. This is where you see it. Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Here's what I think is interesting. Right there in verse 12, it doesn't say, all right, start working on this. Stop. Literally in the Greek, the verb tense is set up so that it's saying, stop doing something that you've already been doing Perhaps for a long time. It's been in motion. It's been set in motion. It may be a habit. It may be a pattern in your life. This has already been happening. This has already been happening. I don't know when you came to Christ. If you were 17, if you were 22, if you were 37, if you're 54, you might have been going down a certain path, giving into a certain sin for a long time. He's saying, stop doing what you've been doing for a long time. Every urge is not a God-given urge. You can change now. See, here's the deal. The moment you were justified by faith in Christ, by grace, and forgiven, King Sin was toppled from the throne of your heart. Say amen. amen. But here's what people get confused about. It is now my job and your job to keep it from mounting the throne of my heart again Because it will if you let it. You say, oh, bummer. Are you serious? Yes, bummer. Serious. It's not dead. It's still very much alive. It has no authority in your life. It can't own you. But it'll still keep talking to you like it can. It'll still, your own rebel desires will try to bully and bluff their way back onto the throne of your heart. If you'll let them. They'll try to kick in the door of your heart and come in like they own the place. If you'll let them. You have to keep your mind in gear and know enough to say, get out, get up. No, don't even sit down. You're not settling in. Don't put your feet up. You're not staying. I'm not playing with you. I'm not playing with you. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to. I know we've been doing this a long time. I know we've been running like this a long time. I know I don't have to. I don't have to. Get out. Get no one can do that for you. I can't do that for you. Your small group leader can't. You got to do it. You got to believe. But you got to have your mind in gear first to believe it. When your feelings are all saying, I got to go this way. I got to go this way. This is what I've always done. I can't say no. I can't say no. Lie, lie, lie. They don't own you. But it's a familiar voice and they will bark at you and bully you as if you've got to give in. But you don't. You don't. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. That's your decision. You could let it if you, if you want to. Don't. 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 Sin is a usurper and a squatter that lurks at the edges of our heart and is just looking for chances to plop down on the throne of your heart again like they own it. But they don't. And that's why Paul right here in Romans 6.12 is saying, don't let sin reign. You don't have to let this keep happening. I know it's what happened, has happened perhaps so often in your life in the past. The past does not have to define 
the present. It's a new day, a new deal. The past does not have to define the present. Does it explain some of your scars? Oh, yeah. Does it explain some of your propensities and where your struggles will be? Oh, yeah. All real, all real, all real. But where we have to draw the line is the past does not have to define the present. It's a new day and a new deal. You need to know that, and then you need to act on that. Keep your desires in check. You say, Brad, what are you talking about with rebel desires? Well, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Here's one of of Satan's favorite ploys, how he gets us and goes after us. There are God-given desires that are not sin, that are not bad, that are not twisted, that are holy and righteous and bring him glory. He loves to take a God-given normal desire and just bump it, just torque it, just twist it, tweak it a little outside the bounds of where God says, hey, this is good and enjoy it right here. Food. Is food a sin? Eating food a sin. Enjoying eating food. Looking forward to eating food. No, 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 no. No problem so far. But rebel desires would love to take your desire for food, your delight in food, and just twist it to where you begin to live for food, run to food as a refuge, and it leads to gluttony, bulimia, anorexia, to where you begin to be enslaved by a normal desire that's been twisted now and it rules you, it owns you. Thirst is not a sin. A desire for drink or thirst is not a sin, but when rebel desires get a hold of it, it can turn it into drunkenness or caffeine addiction. And the thirst becomes an instrument of unrighteousness that tries to enslave you all over again. The desire for sexual satisfaction is not a sin. It's a God-given desire that serves us well in the context of marriage between husband and wife. But when rebel desires get a hold of it, it twists it into selfish lust for pornography or fornication or adultery or homosexual relations. And God's good gift then becomes an instrument of unrighteousness in your life that brings destruction and enslavement all over again. So here's what you really need to understand that you're up against when you get saved. You still have, and I still have, rebel desires that would want to take godly desires and just twist them to enslave you all over again. And it could happen if you let it. But you don't have to. Now, don't hear me saying, and it's easy peasy. And here's three easy steps, and buy my book, and and check out my CDs. It's not easy peasy. It's like knock down, drag out, go to the mat hard. But you do it, and you fight, and you go to the mat, already having your mind and gear knowing, he says I'm dead to sin. He says I can do this. There's the rattle of the chains, but the ball is gone. I don't have to do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can fight the good fight by his grace and for his glory. I may go down. I may take a shot. I may get bloodied, but I don't have to stay down and I'm not fighting on my own. He lives in me. I am alive. Alive. That's different. That's short of TBN and all that's on TV. Sorry, it's just not true. But it's still glorious, folks. It's glorious what God has done for us and who we are now. Final piece of this strategy. So keep your mind in gear, speaking truth and spotting lies. Knowing who you really are. Keep your desires in check. Knowing that still, even as a believer, every urge is not a God-given urge that you should act on. 
And number three, keep your body on track, working out practical holiness. Keep your body on track, working out practical holiness. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And here's what I think is very interesting. That word instrument that's used twice in verse 13, it's only used five times. The original Greek word that the New Testament was written in, only used five times in the New Testament. Every other time that word is used, it's translated weapon. So it fits perfectly with what I'm pushing here that I think is fair to Scripture, that it's a battle. So you can insert there, if you want, right over the word instrument, weapon, and and keep that battle mindset that, hey, your members of your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your reproductive organs, all of you are weapons. You can either use these things for the glory of God as weapons of righteousness Or you can use them as destruction for yourself and others still. It's your choice. It's your choice. You decide what you're going to do with your own body now. You decide. It'll be a fight. But you decide what you're going to do and not do with your own body now. You're alive and can fight sin and can decide what to do and not do. You have choices to make. Do you really understand what God has done for you when Christ died and rose again from the grave? And are you putting forth a grace-empowered, faith-filled effort to fight sin by his grace and for his glory? See, listen to me. Here's the problem for many of you. You cannot just play around with sin. Some of you take little stabs at it and you just want to wound it, but you don't really want to go after it. Why? Because you haven't really yet made up your mind if you really want it out of your life or not. Oh, that'll never work. Now, don't hear me saying, here's the secret for the final stab and it'll be dead. Hallelujah, 2014, when sin died in my life. (laughs) Now, I'll say it to you like the Puritan John Owen said it because it's biblical. Be killing sin. You hear how that sounds ongoing? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You better be killing sin. All of a sudden, there it is again, and you worked in this area of your life, and you're doing better, but oops, look at that, and oops, look at that, and oops, look at that. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Don't wound it. Don't play around. Don't take little stabs at it. You gotta be willing to say, all right, I'm gonna go into this fight swinging for all I'm worth because I got my mind in gear, and I understand the truth of what he says about me even if I don't feel it. I'm, I'm keeping my desires in check and sniffing out. Every urge is not a God-given urge and I check it by God's word. And I'm gonna keep my body on track recognizing I have a choice. I can use the members of my body as weapons of righteousness for the glory of God or they're gonna become all over again weapons of destruction in my own life and everyone else around me. But I have a choice now. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 4, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, he says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You know what he's actually saying? You haven't gotten serious yet about your fight against sin. You haven't drawn blood. You're playing around. You're just jousting. You're just shadow boxing. You want to get serious about this? You really want to see? You want to see progress? Get serious. 
You've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You're just taking little stabs at it. And you've not really made up your mind whether you want that out of your life or not. Make up your mind. John Piper has some great additional resources on this. He's got an article he wrote called Anthem, an acrostic for fighting sin. We posted it on our Facebook page and on the Twitter page. If you want to download that and check that out and think some more this week and get some more thinking of what's a strategy. It's an excellent additional strategy to keep thinking, how do I need to think in this fight against sin? Listen, as we close, let me ask you, have you made up your mind yet? That you're ready to really fight sin. This year. This year. I'm sick of the way this has been. I'm ready and willing. If you say yes, listen to me. Don't just go running into the fray. You know, any, any old way. God's given us a biblical strategy for fighting sin. And so if you're ready. And you're saying, I want to see this year be different than last year. I want to see some progress made. I want less of Brad Bigney and more of Jesus Christ. Then here it is. Keep your mind in gear. Do you know what you need to know? Have you forgotten what you need to know? Have you been guilty of idle? Get your mind in gear. Memorize some verses. Meditate on some verses. Get a hold of what God says, who you are, and start to believe it for you enough that it motivates you to go into the battle. Keep your desires in check. Don't just go with every urge and be so feeling-oriented. And keep your body on track and start thinking, my body, the parts of my body are actually weapons. I can do battle for the glory of God or they can become weapons of mass destruction all over again in my own life and everyone around me. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. You are alive in God by Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for what you've done for us that we could never do for ourselves. And it's only because of that that we can get fired up to rush into this battle. Yes, fearful. Yes, knee-shaking. Yes, aware of our weakness and our frailty, but believing what you say about us, believing it for us and believing it in a way that motivates behavior to say, I'll fight for all I'm worth, knowing I don't fight alone. Knowing when I take a shot and one on the chin and go down, I don't have to stay down and that you've not abandoned me. You're not ashamed of me. You won't condemn me. Your wrath won't be on me. In fact, you're down with me, ready to lift me up to keep going. Oh, God, use us this year for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.